So a few weeks ago, we asked the question, aren't we better off without religion? Last week, we asked the question, hasn't science buried God? On Good Friday, we dug into the question, how could a good God allow suffering? And today, on Easter Sunday, we are going to explore the question, isn't the resurrection a fairy tale? Isn't the resurrection a fairy tale? Now, I wonder if you have a favorite fairy tale. Maybe it's Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty or The Sword in the Stone. Maybe if you're a Brisbane Broncos fan. Sadly, you already know where I'm going. It's the fairy tale that we will ever win another premiership. Now, they're not strictly fairy tales, but a couple of my favorite stories are the Narnia series by C.S. Lewis, and the Harry Potter series by J.K. Rowling. Now, I'm not sure if you've read these series or seen the movies, but both of these uh, books and series are built upon the idea of resurrection. The idea that in the end, love conquers death. So, for example, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Aslan, the great Lion King of Narnia, he willingly dies in the place of Edmund, who has broken the laws of Narnia. And this act of sacrificial love, or deeper magic, as Lewis calls it, it means Aslan does not stay dead, but is raised to life, and he returns to defeat the evil white witch. Or, think about Harry Potter. Now, I would give you a spoiler alert, but you've had 15 years to either read the book or see the movie, so if it spoils it, it's on you. Now, in the final book of the series, Harry willingly faces death to spare his friends. But he is then resurrected to face the forces of evil one last time. These two stories are built upon the idea of resurrection. The idea that love conquers death, that death is not the end. But here's the thing. We know that they are just stories. We know that they are mythical, fictional, make-believe. We know, or at least I hope we know, that there is no such place as Narnia. There's no magical wardrobe that takes you into a land with fawns and and witches and talking animals. We know that Hogwarts doesn't exist. I hate to break it to you, but there is no owl that will be bringing you a letter. (laughs) There's no platform nine and three quarters. There's no Quidditch. We know that these stories are not real. So why... When it comes to the story of Easter, when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, why should we consider it to be fact, not fiction? Why should we consider it history, not mythology? Why should we believe the Christian claim that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was dead and buried on Friday night, but then come Sunday morning, was raised to life again? This is the question that we're going to consider today. Do we have good reasons to believe in the reality of the resurrection? Now, this might seem like an unimportant question to you. Maybe you're wondering, well, why does the resurrection of Jesus, which happened thousands of years ago, why does that matter to me today? How does this change my life? And I would say it only matters if it's true. See, if it's not true, if it didn't happen, well, you can forget about Christianity. You can do away with it. 
Because if it did not happen, the Christian faith is little more than a delusion. And Christians have nothing more than a false hope. And the Bible itself says this. 1 Corinthians 15 says, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, which is an encouraging statement for a preacher. We are false witnesses about God. We are still in our sins. We are, the Bible says, of all people, if the resurrection is not true, most to be pitied. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus is the plug at the bottom of the Christian bathtub. And if it's not true, we should pull the plug and wash it all away. But if it is true, if it did happen, it changes everything. And it matters more than anything. Because if it's true, listen to me carefully, it confirms Jesus' identity. It validates all that Jesus said and did. I don't know if you know this, but during his life, Jesus Christ made some incredible claims. He said things like, I and the Father are one. He said, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, come to me and I will give you rest. Now imagine someone said any of these to you later today. You're talking to someone out of Easter on the lawn and they say to you, I am the light of the world. (laughs) I agree. You're going to be looking for the nearest exit. And yet, this is exactly the claims that Jesus made. Now, either he was crazy, deluded, or he was telling the truth. Now, what would it prove? What would it take to prove that Jesus was telling the truth? What would convince you that he was who he said he was? Surely, if he rose from the grave, it would go a long way to convince you that he was who he said he was. If the resurrection is true, it would also prove what Jesus did and accomplished, especially his death on the cross. Now, the core Christian claim is that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins so that we could have restored relationship with God. But what if Jesus was not raised? What if his body remained in the tomb? The answer is that he would not be a saviour. He would be little more than a religious martyr. And his death would be of no benefit to anyone. But if he was raised, it proves that he really has paid for our sins, that forgiveness really is available. To put it another way, if the cross is the payment for our sins, then the empty tomb is the receipt. It's the proof the payment has been made. So friends, without the resurrection, listen to me, Jesus' claims are empty and Jesus' work is unfinished. But if the resurrection is true, then it goes a long way to prove that Jesus was who he said he was, the Son of God, and that he's done what he said he would do, pay for our sins. Or as one writer puts it, it would mean Jesus is Lord, the rescue is real, and the Christian story is not only beautiful, it's true. But that's the question, isn't it? Is it true? Did it happen? Do we have good reasons to believe the reality of Jesus' resurrection? Now, you might say immediately, of 
course it didn't happen. Because we know that dead people don't come back to life. With all that we know now, thanks to science, we can't believe in miracles like the resurrection. Maybe back in Jesus' day, people were more primitive, they were more gullible, they were more likely to believe in miracles and the supernatural. But we've moved past that. We know more than they did. No modern rational person can believe in miracles today. Now, this is certainly the opinion of someone like Richard Dawkins. Here's what he said in one of his books. He said, the 19th century is the last time when it was possible for an educated person to admit to believing in miracles like the virgin birth without embarrassment. When pressed, many educated Christians are too loyal to deny the virgin birth and the resurrection. But it embarrasses them because their rational minds know that it is absurd. So they would much rather not be asked. Now here's the question. Is he right? Is it true? Is it embarrassing and absurd to believe in miracles? I would say three things in response. Firstly, there are world-renowned, award-winning scientists like Professor, John, Professor William Phillips, Nobel Prize winner, Sir John Polkinghorne, Sir John Houghton, Francis Collins. All of these scientists publicly and without embarrassment affirm their belief in miracles and the supernatural, especially the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It's just false that educated people can't believe in miracles. Secondly, those who were alive in Jesus' day, they knew just as well as we do that dead people generally stay dead. They probably knew it far better than you and I do. They were far more exposed to death than you and I are today. And this is why when the women first came back from the tomb with the news that it was empty and that Jesus wasn't there, this is how the disciples responded. Luke 24. These words that the women shared with them seemed like nonsense to them. When they first heard the news of Jesus' resurrection, most of the disciples didn't believe it. They weren't predisposed to believe in a resurrection any more than you and I. Thirdly, miracles are only impossible and absurd if our universe is a closed system of cause and effect. If everything that happens in our world is only caused by natural laws. Of course, the Christian worldview suggests something different. Christian thinkers like Galileo, Johann Kepler, Blaise Pascal, Isaac Newton, they argue that the laws of nature, they describe what normally happens, the way that God normally governs the world, but this does not mean that God cannot intervene. C.S. Lewis explained it this way. He said, imagine you put $20 in a drawer. The next day, you put another $20 in that drawer. Now, if you come back the following day, you would expect to find $40 in that drawer. But imagine you find $10 in that drawer. Now, are you going to assume that the laws of math have been broken? Or are you going to assume that the laws of Australia have been broken? <laughs> you are going to assume that there has been outside intervention. It would be a mistake to assume that that drawer is a closed system. And the Christian worldview says something similar. It says that our world is not a closed system. It has been created by God with rationality and order. But God can and does intervene in our world. Not to take from us, but to give to us. 
Here's the way John Lennox, professor of mathematics at Oxford, puts it. He says, if one admits the existence of a creator, the door is inevitably open for that same creator to intervene in the course of nature. There is no such thing as a tame creator who cannot or must not or dare not actively get involved in the universe he has created. Miracles may occur. Or Dan Patterson, the the gentleman we heard from a little earlier in that video, he says, the laws of nature do not constrain God. Listen to this, they expose him. For against the backdrop of nature's regularity, God arrests our attention when he does something miraculous. You see, this is why Christians don't believe that the resurrection is embarrassing or absurd or irrational. We believe it is the intervention of God in history. We believe it is God arresting our attention. But of course, the question remains, well, when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, is there any evidence for it? Can you prove it? And I guess the question is, well, how would you do that? How would you prove it? You can't put it under the microscope and observe it. It's a unique, unrepeatable event. It happened once and only once. Nor can you look at the footage to see what happened. Fortunately, there were no security cameras installed on the tomb. Instead, we have to approach it like a detective. We have to examine what we do know. We have to look at the facts to then discern the most probable explanation. Now, what are the facts when it comes to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection? Well, let me give you a series of facts which are accepted by almost all scholars of all stripes, Christian or otherwise. First, Jesus Christ of Nazareth lived in first century Israel. He drew a substantial following and he was known as a wonder worker. Second, Jesus fulfilled hundreds of Old Testament prophecies, many of which were out of his control, such as the place of his birth. Third, Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Palestine. He died and was buried. Fourth, On the Sunday morning, the tomb in which he had been laid was empty. Fifth, many different people reported seeing Jesus alive. Individuals, small groups, large groups in different locations and settings. Sixth, Jesus' unimpressive group of followers, the ones who had run away at his trial, they were transformed into courageous preachers. They testified at great risk to themselves and later at the cost of their own lives that Jesus was raised from the grave. Seventh, within weeks, the church grew rapidly in the very same city that Jesus was tried, crucified, and buried. Eight, no one ever found Jesus' body, despite the authorities having every reason to try and produce it. Nine, Christianity is built upon the claim of the resurrection. And it has grown to become the largest movement the world has ever seen. Today, billions of people worship a man who was executed over 2,000 years ago as an uneducated, powerless criminal. They are the facts around Jesus' resurrection. And there isn't much dispute, even from atheistic scholars. The question is, how do we account for those facts? What conclusion do we draw from them? Now, there have been a number of different theories put forward. Maybe Jesus didn't really die on the cross and then later resuscitated in the tomb. Maybe Jesus' followers were hallucinating. Maybe the disciples stole the body and lied about it. 
problem is that each of these theories don't stand up to closer scrutiny. I mean, if Jesus did not die on the cross, but then later resuscitated in the tomb, it not only means that the Romans failed to kill him, which is unlikely given that the Romans were experts at killing people, it also means that Jesus, who at this stage would have been half dead and desperately in need of medical attention, he managed to unravel the grave clothes, he managed to roll back the heavy stone door, he managed to sneak past or overpower the Roman guards that were stationed there, He managed to then convince the disciples and hundreds of others that he had gained a victory over death. Seems unlikely. Maybe Jesus' followers were hallucinating when they claimed to have seen him. Again, I like what Dan Patterson says about this. He says, The monumental problem with this suggestion is that not even a marijuana plantation burning away on a nearby Judean hillside could account for the scope of these post-resurrection appearances. Why? Because by definition, hallucinations are private mental events, not shared. Except Jesus was said to appear to individuals and groups in different locations and social settings right across a period of 40 days. Now what about the empty tomb? Maybe the disciples stole the body and lied about it. Maybe they wanted to start a new movement with them at the top of the tree. The only problem is if they did, it didn't work out for them. When they started to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, it did not bring them power and riches, it brought them torture and death. And yet none of them ever recanted. All of them died violently for their claim that Jesus was risen. Maybe the women went to the wrong tomb. Now I'm not going to say anything about directions. (laughs) Because in my household, I'm the one that's bad with directions. But maybe the women got lost and confused. Maybe they went to the wrong tomb and it was empty and this whole thing has been built on a mistake. The only thing is that the women had been to Jesus' tomb two days earlier. They knew where it was. And if they had gone to the wrong tomb, when news of the resurrection began to spread, all the authorities had to do was go to the right tomb, get Jesus' body out and put it on display and it's the end of the movement. But they didn't because presumably... They couldn't. Moreover, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, how do we explain the ongoing impact of Jesus? How do we explain the billions of lives that have been changed by Jesus? You know, Jesus made the promise in his life that if people come to him, they will receive certain things. They will receive a new life, new peace, new power. They will receive forgiveness and grace and mercy. And this has been true for billions of people throughout history. This is true for many of us in this room, many of us in MP1, many of us online, many around our nation, many around our world. Billions of people have had their lives changed by Jesus. And all of this leads uh, author Glenn Scrivener to conclude this. He says, On one Sunday in the first century, there was an undeniable release of energy the shockwaves of which we are still feeling today. This is historical fact. Christians say we can explain that release of energy. Jesus really rose. Now my point in sharing all of this is not to prove conclusively that Jesus was raised from the grave. I'm not sure that anyone can do that. It's simply to demonstrate that the resurrection of Jesus, it is most certainly not in the category of fairy tale. 
To believe the resurrection is not a leap in the dark. It's not embarrassing or absurd or irrational. It actually seems to make most sense of the facts. And Simon Greenleaf found this to be true in his life. Simon Greenleaf is one of the most influential legal minds in American history. He was a founder of Harvard Law School. He also wrote a classic work on the laws of legal evidence. And he was, for a number of years in his life, an atheist. He would often challenge the Christian students in his class. And so one day they decided to challenge him. And they challenged him to put his own principles of legal evidence to the test and to apply them to the resurrection. And so this is what Simon did, but rather than disproving it or finding that it lacked evidence, Simon Greenleaf actually became convinced about the reality of the resurrection. He's quoted as saying, the resurrection is one of the best established facts of history. See, he was faced with the facts about Jesus and it led him to put his faith in Jesus. And the question I want to leave you with today is this. What are you going to do with what you know? It's one thing to face the facts about Jesus. It's another thing entirely to put your faith in him. To place your life and your future into his hands. And this is, after all, exactly why he came. He came from heaven to earth, not just to motivate us, not just to inspire us, not just to teach us, not just to scold us, but to rescue us from everything that enslaves us, to give us everything that we could ever want or need. I mean, if Jesus really has risen from the grave, then it means that love really does conquer death. It means that Jesus is a living saviour, not a dead martyr. It means that the way to God is open, not closed. It means that the grave is just the beginning and not the end. The story of Joyce Van Egmont has just begun. And every page from here on out is going to be better than the last. It means the future is bright and certain, not dark and unknown. It really is the best news in the world. And it can be true for you. No one is excluded and everyone is invited. This is greater than even the greatest fairy tale. And the best news is that it's true. Let's pray. Father, there are some of us listening right now and we want to move from knowing facts about Jesus to placing our faith in Jesus, to putting our lives, ourselves, our future in his hands. And if that's you, I just invite you to, to pray this prayer to God. Pray this prayer along with me in your heart and in your mind. Heavenly Father, Thank you for inviting me into your family. I know I don't deserve it, but I thank you for your son, Jesus, who died for all my sins and rose to give me new life. I turn from my sin and the emptiness of living for myself and instead come home to your love and leading. May I know you as Father 
May I be one with your son. May I be filled with your spirit. Now and forever. Amen.